You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 23 in your Bibles. I'd like to try to finish where we started last week. And remember last week I talked to you about uh, the shepherd. And uh, the shepherd in the Old Testament was not necessarily just a spiritual leader. It could have been a political leader. It could have been a government leader. But I talked to you last week about the, the pastors that I had. And I told you about how two of them are with the Lord now. Uh, my dad and, of course, my pastor, Pastor Swanson, who uh, just uh, recently went home to be with the Lord. But uh, we, we began going through talking about the pastors and God's message to the, the shepherds, the leaders. And we saw, number one, the problem. The problem is that they were supposed to uh, build the people. They're supposed to help the people. They're supposed to guide the people. But they were destroying the flock and they were scattering the flock. That's not good. Number two, the purpose. Their purpose was to feed the sheep. Their purpose was to attend to the sheep, attend to the flock of God. And we talked about the purpose. And then thirdly, we talked about the punishment. And God said that he would punish those shepherds, those leaders, because they did not fulfill their responsibility. We said last week that to whom much is given, much is also required. And I'll tell you, here at Victory Baptist Church, the majority of us in this room that have been been saved for a long time and we've been in church for a long time and I think about the pastors that I have had and many of you, you've had some wonderful pastors through the years and, and family and friends and Sunday school teachers. We're going to be required quite a bit when we get to heaven because of all that we have been blessed with. Just, I mean, think about this. We live in the United States of America where we have religious freedom, uh, where we get to worship God. We, we all own at least one copy of the Bible. And if you don't have a, a, a copy of the Bible, we'll get one for you. We, we, we want you to have one. Most of us have multiple copies of the Bible. Think about this. There are places in this world where people don't even own a copy of the Bible. And you think about how much will be required of us. I'm not talking about works for salvation. That's not it at all. But I'm talking about uh, when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ and where our works will be tried by fire to see of what sort or of what quality they are. I tell you, I want to have something that I can give back to Jesus. I want to be able to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, the Christian life, you got to get saved, but after you get saved, uh, God has a purpose for us. If we didn't have a purpose, then why would God leave us here? He, he left us here to fulfill his purpose. And we talked about that. And then the promise. God promised that he would gather his flock together. God promised that he would take care of the sheep. And he is the good shepherd. Aren't you glad that God, uh, our heavenly father, is the good shepherd and the good shepherd uh, John chapter, I think it's John chapter 10, but Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And Jesus gave his life as the shepherd. He sacrificed himself for the sheep. Hallelujah for that. I want you to pick up with me in verse number um, seven is where we'll start. He says, therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which 
uh, led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, that would be Babylon, the land of uh, the, the Chaldeans, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at your word. I pray you'd speak to us. Uh, I pray we would not miss these truths, and I pray, Holy Spirit, as I do my best to point out truths, I pray that you would speak to hearts, and I pray that you would convict us and challenge us and encourage us as only you can do and as only your word can accomplish. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see as we start, pick up in verse number seven, I think we mentioned this last week, but I just want to remind you that God is not just a God of the past. Aren't you glad for that? Now, God's done some great things in the past, and I'm thankful for it. I've, I've been on a memory overload these last few days. My brother and I, we drove through Geneseo, went by and saw my dad's grave. And I, of course, I've seen it a few times. Went back there, went by the old church and went by the new church and went by the old house and went by and drove where uh, my wife and I lived right after we got married and just so many memories. And I got to see so many people uh, in uh, the Geneseo area and also where my brother pastors in Davenport, so many dear friends. In Rockford, Illinois, I saw some, some, some Christian school teachers I had, some Sunday school teachers I had, uh, some, some friends I've had, people I hadn't seen in 25 and 30 years in some cases that were back for that. And I'm so glad that God has done some great things in the past. If you've been saved for any length of time, I think you'd say God's done some great things for you in the past. Brother Askew, I love to talk to you and I love to hear some stories of what God's done over the years and, and not just you, but many in this room that, that have shared stories. And I'm thankful for it. I don't ever want to discredit the past. I don't ever want to, uh, uh, I don't want to ever alienate myself from the past and what God has done because I'll tell you, it's God's mercy and God's goodness that he's allowed us to have that. But I want to remind us, the same God that answered our prayers 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 and 40 years ago. The same God that saved souls uh, uh, in the last generation. The same God that worked miracles in days gone by. That same God is still alive and well today. And he is not just a God of the past. He's a God of the present. He can do it today, and He is the God of the future. Notice what it says in verses 7 and 8. There's coming a day when, 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 when Jeremiah prophesied that they wouldn't just say, the Lord liveth that brought us out of Egypt. But Jeremiah said the day's coming when we're, you're going to say, the Lord liveth that brought us out of Babylon. The Lord liveth that brought us out of these other countries. And aren't you glad that God is still alive? Aren't you glad he's in control? Aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? Hallelujah. And there is a God in heaven who is alive and well, and he can still work today. Now, I want to ask you this question. You don't have to answer out loud, obviously. But what is God doing in your life right now? What's God doing in your home right now? What's God doing in your ministry? What is God doing in your heart right now? Uh, we've got folks who are watching tonight or listening tonight, and I understand all the different, I, don't, I should say I understand, I think I understand a lot of the different situations, but whether you're in the auditorium tonight 
or you're listening by radio or you're watching by computer, I want to tell you, God is not limited. God can still do a work in our hearts no matter what. God's not limited by who the president is or who the governor is. God's not limited by what's going on in our country. God's not limited by what the, the media is saying. God's not limited. God is alive and well, period. And God can work. But what's God doing in your life? What is God known for doing in your life? What have you allowed him to do in your life? Can I tell you, God can still do it again. And I challenge you to trust him and claim his promise and realize that God is able to meet your need. God is able to help your situation. God is able to work a miracle no matter what we are facing. I'm glad that God is alive. The Lord liveth that brought us out of Egypt. And Jeremiah said, oh yeah, but also the Lord liveth who's gonna bring us out of Babylon, bring us out of captivity. Notice verse nine, Jeremiah uh, shifts gears here. And he says in verse nine, mine heart within me is broken. Remember, Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. He is a prophet with tears in his eyes and a broken heart for the people here. He is brokenhearted because of the prophets who are preaching and teaching false doctrine and false prophecies. But he says, my heart is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. Now, this is, he's, he's worked up about this. He says, literally, he says, I, I'm shaking. My, my being is shaken because my heart is broken for the condition of my country. He said, I'm like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Here's what got Jeremiah all shaken up. And here's what got Jeremiah uh, overwhelmed with compassion. He said, because I realized that God is holy and I realized that God's word is holiness. And he said, I see that we're not living up to what God expects us to do and how God expects us to live. And Jeremiah says, my heart is broken. Now, we look at our country or we look at our situation today and sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we get frustrated. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe you're just the, the perfect Christian and nothing ever bothers you. And, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and your first response is, oh, God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Probably not most of us. Probably not all of us. But what is your reaction and what is my reaction when we see the condition of our country? Sometimes it's to get mad. Sometimes it's we get angry. Sometimes we lash out. But can I remind you the biblical response is that we have a broken heart, that we have a burden, that we have a desire to see people saved and to see people come back to God. And that was Jeremiah's burden. He said, God, my heart is broken because of the condition of God's people, because of the condition of the prophets. It, by the way, it ought to bother us too. It ought to bother us that uh, so few preachers are preaching the truth. It ought to bother us that so few Christians are living for God. It ought to bother us that it seems like our nation has become blinded by sin. It ought to bother us so much that we come to prayer meeting. 
It ought to bother us so much that we get in the Bible and we get in prayer and that we, we have a broken heart and a, a burden to see God turn things around. Notice verse number 10. He says in the land, he said, it's, 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 it, we have a holy God and God's word is holy. But verse 10, the land is full of adulterers. For because of swearing, the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up and their course is evil and their force is not right. Jeremiah said, because, now get this. He said, because our people are so wicked, it has actually affected our land. Now, can I tell you, that's biblical. You see throughout the Bible that when people turn from God, God sent plagues. God sent fires. God sent earthquakes. God sent droughts. God sent pestilences. God sent plagues. Can I tell you, that may be a little indication of what we're seeing in our country. I don't think all this stuff's coincidence. I don't believe that for a second. But it may be God's trying to get our attention. It may be when you uh, uh, not only legalize, but you promote and endorse homosexuality in a nation. It might be that God says, okay, you want to do that? I'll show you what I think about that. It might be a nation that, that slaughters babies and a nation that lives as if God does not matter and God does not exist. It may be that God says, okay, that's the way you want it. You'll experience judgment from a mighty, powerful, holy God because of that. But the land of Israel was affected. Literally, the, the pleasant places of the wilderness, Jeremiah said, they're dried up and their course is evil. Verse 11, for both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house, notice that, in my house, God said, have I found their wickedness? Verse number 11, the prophets and the priests were profane. Now, I understand the church house. We welcome sinners to come to the church house. And by the way, aren't you glad? <laughs> if we did, none of us would be here. But we want people to come to church. We want people to come. We want people to get saved. We want people to get right with God. But the church ought not be a place of wickedness. It ought not be a place where wickedness is accepted. It ought not be a place where wickedness is promoted. But Jeremiah said the prophets and the priests are profane. In my house, God says, I have found their wickedness. In the book of 1 Samuel, we find the account of Eli. He was the priest. And Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were his sons, who were serving in the temple. And the Bible says about those boys, he, the Bible says that the sons of Eli, they knew not the Lord. We're not talking about some person that's never heard the gospel. We're not talking about some unsaved person. We're talking about people that were serving God in the temple. But God says, they don't even know me. And I tell you, those two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, in the temple, they were immoral. They were stealing. They had made a mockery out of God's house and the worship of God. And you say, well, what happened? God killed them. 
God removed them. And as God's people, I want to remind us that we serve a holy God. I want to remind us that our God is still holy. He is a God who has called us to be holy. He has given us a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He's given us a Holy Bible. And He's given us a church not for us to live our lives however we choose, but for us to live more like Jesus every day. The, the house of God had become a house of wickedness. What a, what a shame. What a tragedy. Verse 12, their ways were slippery in the darkness. And by the way, when people live in sin, they are walking a very dangerous path. They are setting themselves up for destruction. Yeah, judgment may not come right away. Uh, judgment may not come immediately. But be not deceived. God is not what? He is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Judgment will come. We see the problem. There was wickedness in the house of God, even amongst the prophets and the, the priests. And, uh, the Bible tells us, verse 13, the folly of the prophets. Notice what it says. I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in who? They prophesied in Baal. And they caused my people Israel to err. Now here's what's so sad. As, as a prophet or a priest, they were responsible to steer God's people in the right direction, but they were not steering them in the right direction. They were steering them in the wrong direction. They were causing God's people to go the wrong way. Now I want to tell you, we may not, and I hope we don't get up and preach heresy in this pulpit. And by the way, if there's ever heresy preached in this pulpit, uh, as soon as I get a chance, I'll stand up and I'll correct it. If I ever hear of heresy being taught in a Sunday school class, we'll correct it. Because we don't preach, we don't preach our ideas, but we preach what God has said in God's word. This is what we're supposed to preach. This is what we're supposed to teach. But how about this? What if we preach and teach the Bible? But what if our lives point people down a different road? What if we try to say one thing from the pulpit or one thing from the podium or one thing with our mouth, but what if our example causes people to err, to, 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 to lead them to error, to lead them off the path that God has? I'll tell you this, I don't want to be guilty of causing people to go astray because they heard my message, but they saw my life and the two did not match up. You know what's scary about that? Is if the two don't match up, you know which one people usually follow? Your walk. Because your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. And they caused people to err and they caused people to wander and to go astray. And verse 14, it says the prophets of Jerusalem... Verse 14, that they have uh, uh, seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. The prophets, they walk in lies and they strengthen also the hands of evildoers. Now think about this. If we preach lies or we teach things that are false, you know what we're doing? Not only are we causing people to go astray, but we're reinforcing what they're doing. 
it's almost like we're applauding them and saying, yeah, you're doing your own thing. Good for you. That's what happens when we preach and teach lies and we preach and teach things that are not true. We see again the punishment, verse number 15, and I gave you the outline last week, but we're seeing this all throughout this chapter. Again, the punishment, verse 15, the Lord said, behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall for the, from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. That wormwood is literally talking about a curse or a poison that God pronounced upon these prophets, the gall, same thing. It's like a poison. Verse number 16, thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. We are, we're living in a day when there are so many voices that we can listen to. There are books you can read. There are blogs you can follow. There are podcasts you can listen to. There are television preachers and preachers on uh, cassette or CD or MP3 or, or, or YouTube or whatever. And I want to say this. Not everyone who claims to be a Bible preacher is preaching the Bible. And that's why you got to be so careful who you listen to. Uh, you've known them over the years and so have I. I've known people that were as, as, as straight down the line as anybody I ever knew. And now they're not in church. And now they, they, they have nothing to do with Christianity. And it's not because they went out drinking and partying and doing drugs and acting immoral. It's because they got off doctrinally and they got so confused and they got so messed up and they got so out of whack that when it finally came down to it, they didn't know what to do. We must be grounded and we must be careful who we listen to. We must guard uh, our ears and guard our hearts and make sure that everything that we listen to, that it matches up with the word of God. I've said it before, but if there's ever something you say, I don't think the Bible says that, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you. Let's figure out what the Bible says. And you are responsible, uh, you that are here, you that are watching, you that are listening on the radio, you're responsible as a Christian to make sure that what the preacher's preaching is in the Bible. You say, well, how do we know that? You got to read it for yourself. You've got to study the scriptures. Uh, the, the, the church, uh, the, the Christians uh, there at uh, Berea, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures diligently to see whether those things were so. We must make sure we're careful who we listen to. Quickly, I must move on. Number 17, uh, number 17, it sounds, seems like that. Verse 17, and don't worry, there's only 40 verses here. Verse 17, they preach lies. There was a false sense of security that they tried to preach to the people. Verse number 19, God promised a grievous whirlwind. That word whirlwind literally means a violent hurricane. Many of you in this room, I guess, how many of you have been through a bad hurricane in your life? Let me see your hands. Oh yeah, you know about that. I was telling Brother Charles right before service when I was in Illinois, they had, I was there for just a couple days, they had two bad storms go through. One of those storms, Brother Dan, I think we were talking about this morning, one of those storms over in Geneseo where, where I used to live uh, had 80 and 90 mile an hour winds that whipped through there. And that's just another day in the Midwest, you know. Um, but you've been through those storms. Those are violent. Those are scary. And God likens his judgment 
to a grievous whirlwind. Can I tell you, God is a God of judgment and God is a God of wrath. Now, I'm thankful for the mercy. I'm thankful for His grace. But can I tell you, we must be careful that we do not abuse the grace of God because God's grace is extended. But there will come a time, as God did in Noah's day, there will come a time when God will shut the door and say, I've given you chance after chance after chance after chance. And there will come an end. Verse 20, we see again the anger of God. Verse 21, the prophets were not sent by God. They were not authorized by God. Verse number 22, the Bible says, but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from uh, the evil of their doings. God said, if, if these prophets were gonna tell God's people what to do, then the prophets themselves ought to have done it themselves. They ought to have obeyed themselves before they try to tell somebody else to obey. You got to practice what you preach. And as Christians, that is so true for all of us. Uh, before we start preaching to somebody else, we got to make sure that our lives are matched up and our lives are in accordance with God's word. Notice quickly, verse number 23. I love this verse. God asks the question and he says, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Let me ask you a question. Is God a God that is close or is he a God that is far away? Help me with that. He's close. But sometimes we live as if he's a long ways away. Oh, I can do that. I can say that. I can go there. God will never know. Well, we know he does know, but we live sometimes as if he does. And I'm glad that God is a God that is close. God is a God at hand. Notice the problem again, verses 25 and 26. They were uh, preaching lies and deceit. Verse number 25, the prophet said, I've that prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed and I have dreamed. And, and, and they're, they're, they're making up stuff, which was not what God had told them. Jump down with me, if you would, to verse number 29. Verse number 29, the question is asked, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Now think about this. The Bible, the word of God, is likened to many different things. This book right here, it is a light and it is a lamp, according to Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You need some direction. You need to have some light and know where to go. Just get in this book right here. You say, well, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about this decision. Spend some time in the Bible. You say, but, but the Bible doesn't tell me which job I should pick between this one and this one. No, it may not tell you which job to pick, but this book right here, it'll give you wisdom as far as which one you should choose. This book, right? I promise you, this book, it's a lamp. This book not only is a lamp and a light, but it's a sword. You need victory over the devil. You need some spiritual battles won. You better take this book and you better get in it and read it because there is victory in the word of God. This book is likened unto water for washing and for cleansing. Boy, when you've been in sin and you've, you've been backslidden, you've been away from God and boy, you get in the book and you just, you, you feel refreshed. 
You feel clean like you do after a, a long day out in the, the hot sun and out in the dirt and, and, and you're, you're, you're filthy and you get a shower and you feel good and you get in the Word of God and you spiritually, you're cleansed. This book is our food. It's our bread. When you're hungry, this book will feed you and fill you and give you strength. But the, this verse tells us that the Word of God is like a fire. I have with me, I have a a lighter. And the amazing thing about a fire is that a fire, when it works, it's a pretty small flame. But you know what's amazing about the power of one little flame? Is one little flame under the right conditions could destroy an entire building. You ever heard of the great Chicago fire? One little flame could take out a portion of a city. One little flame. You say, well, what does that have to do with the Word of God? I'm glad you asked. This book right here, it may not seem like much, and it may not seem like it's accomplishing much, but this book is like a fire. This book is like a flame. And can I tell you, there is power in this book. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you've given up on, on, on a, a friend or a family member. You've given up on a situation and you say, there's no hope. Well, I got news for you. This book is like a fire. And this book can consume you. And this book can change you. And this book can transform you. And this book can purify you if we will get in it. I'm glad for the power of the Word of God. It's like a fire. It's a purifier, actually, in this passage. It talks about uh, the wheat and the chaff and how that, that fire can consume the chaff, that which is, is not necessary, that which is not important. But then we see also that the Word of God is like a hammer. You know, a hammer may not, may not seem like a whole lot, but try putting a nail in a wall with your bare hand. Let me know how that goes. Or try putting a nail in the wall with the heel of your shoe, you know, because you don't have a hammer around. Doesn't work very well. This hammer has great power. Now the fire, the fire can be a, a, an enormous, enormous power that can spread and consume. Uh, a fire can be uh, one little flame. It can take out an entire forest. It can take out an entire area. But the hammer doesn't work like that. The hammer is just constant. It's just steady. And you know, that reminds me of what we're supposed to do with the Word of God. Just every day, you read another verse. And every day, you read another chapter. And every day, you claim another promise. And you just stay after it, and you stay after it, and you stay after it. And guess what you have after a period of time? you got a wall. You've got a structure. You've got a building. You've got a house. You've got an addition. You've got something great. And it didn't happen overnight, but it happened by the power of the hammer. It happened by the power of the tools that were used day after day after day after day. You know what? That's the way the Bible works. That's why we're supposed to get in it every day. That's why every day we're supposed to read this book and every day we're supposed to memorize this book. And that's why you say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm concerned about 
my teenager. I'm concer concerned about my, my college age student. I'm concerned about my young adult children. I'm concerned because it seems like that they're, they're, they're not doing what they should do or what I'd want them to do or what God wants. But can I tell you, there's power in this book. And that's why I love it that you just keep reading the book and you keep coming to church and you keep hearing it preached and hearing it taught and the word of God will not return void. It always accomplishes what it sets out to do, not because of me, not because of you, but because it is the word of God. And it's powerful. I'm thankful that we have the word of God. Jeremiah was living in a very difficult time, a backslidden era, but it was the word of God that God said that the word is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So, Pastor, I know some hard-hearted people. Yeah, maybe so. I do too. But it's not so hard that the hammer of God's word cannot break. I know some cold, cold, cold-hearted people. Yeah, me too. But it's not anything that the fire of God's word cannot melt. Can I tell you, I'm glad we have the word of God. I'm glad we have the power of God's word and we have it in our possession. We ought to have it in our heart. I see the problem again, verse number 31. God says that the prophets were saying God said when God didn't say. Have you ever had your children like to say mom said or dad said, and then you, you go and you check with your spouse and you find out, oh, <laughs> mom did not say. And they, they, they've, they've heard it so many times that if mom said, then it has to happen. And so they decide to take that little phrase and attach it to whatever they want to happen and think that it's all going to work out. The prophets were saying God said when God did not say. We must be very careful that we're not reckless with the Bible. We must be very careful that we make it clear when God says, then we do it. And we obey it and we follow it. But if God doesn't say, we must be careful that we don't start attaching God's name to things that we want the Bible to say. The problem, then I see the punishment and I'll be done. Verses 34 through 36. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Thus shall ye say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what hath the Lord answered? And what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more. For every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God and of the Lord of hosts, our God. There was judgment that was promised because the priests and the prophets and the people of God, they took God's word and they perverted it. They changed it. They distorted it. Now, I want you to listen very, very carefully and I want you to, I want you to hear me on this because I want you to understand how important it is. Changing the Bible can be done in preaching and teaching. And that's why as preachers and teachers and people in ministry, we must be very careful that we rightly divide the word of truth, that we teach what the Bible teaches and we say what the Bible says. But that can also be done in Bible versions. And that's why at our church, at Victory Baptist Church, that's why we have a policy, it's found in our 
our bylaws that we only use one version, the King James Version, for English-speaking people. That's the version we use. And you say, how come? Because as you study and as you look into other versions, you realize that there are Bible doctrines that are changed. There are Bible, Bible doctrines that are distorted. There are doctrines like the virgin birth or the deity of Christ or the Trinity that in other versions of the Bible, they're left out. And that's why as God's people, I believe we must be so careful in handling the Bible. Say, how come? Because this isn't any old book. This is the Word of God. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is our foundation. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.